So I um, was asked a question the other night about what I'm planning to do during the retreat for three months. And I mentioned that um, there are two reflections that I'm taking into retreat. And I thought I would just share those with you and maybe very little a bit about preparation for this kind of opportunity to have a long retreat. I'm going to share the screen. It's suttas, so I'm, I, it's, or from suttas, so I want to, um, just open this up so you can see them too as I talk about it. This is the first one. Uh, there are two quotes that I'm intending to use as reflection. And so as I was thinking about uh, a little bit, I don't put, I'm not putting a lot of effort into thinking about what it's going to be like. I want to really follow um, you know, what happens, be, being open. If you plan too much, then there's this um, possibility that you won't really be open and available to what unfolds. So I want to be clear that I think it's important to really stay tuned in to what the heart or the mind is available for and of course spending as much time as possible in meditation one way or another sitting standing walking or lying down and um i was talking with ajahn pasano who's been my teacher i actually started asking him for advice around 25 years ago and he's been officially my teacher for 20 years and so we touch base from time to time and I was talking about practice and going into this retreat and he suggested this reflection which of course I find beautiful compelling um, freeing and the the quote itself, this is peaceful, this is sublime, that is the stilling of all activities, the letting go of all attachments, the ending of craving, dispassion, cessation, nibbana. You see this um, text appearing in different places in the suttas. We actually, it appeared in the sutta we were looking at on Wednesday night the Girimandana Sutta, where the Buddha is uh, offering 10 perceptions or 10 um, re reflections. It actually turns out to be nine, nine reflections and the Anapanasati instructions. But there were two of them where this is what um, this text appeared. And it was really talking about um, the fading away and cessation and with this same idea you experience this even slightly some letting go and then reflecting yes this is peaceful this is sublime and then the the whole concept of the stilling of all activities when the mind becomes silent 
when the body is still. It's like this letting go, letting go of all of the the craving, the, the attachments, really experiencing to whatever degree one can in the moment, the dissolving of our irritation, restlessness, wanting, wanting to get rid of. And you can see, again, like the Buddha does so many times in the suttas, that it's not just that we experience these things, we experience that freedom, but we also recognize that we're experiencing that freedom. So it's like noticing this is peaceful, this is sublime. And then that's the encouragement for it to go deeper. So when we recognize that the mind is going in a good direction, when we see it, it's also true for other things like our virtue. Like when we, when we um, keep the precepts and we notice, we observe, we acknowledge, we solidify in our mind that we're keeping the precepts. This helps us to keep the precepts better in the future. This is more inspiration and support. So this is the this is the quote. This is the reflection. And then I wanted to share one of the suttas where this is um, where this comes up. And I feel like this sutta is really quite powerful. It's short. It's in the Anguttara Nikaya. In the Book of Threes, number 32, it's called Ananda because the Buddha, Ananda asks a question and the Buddha gives this answer. So Ananda approached the Buddha, paid homage, sat down to one side and said to him, first of all, can you imagine that? I mean, Ananda has was with the Buddha for many, many years as his attendant. And every time he comes to him, he bows. You know, what a beautiful, beautiful thing, that acknowledgement that this fully enlightened Buddha right here in front of me, even though I see him every day, many times a day, is bowing to that. And this is, this is part of what we can do in our own mind, that paying respects that bowing that letting go of our self so that's what this is about actually he's asking bonte could a mendicant obtain such a state of concentration or immersion that they would have no eye making mind making or underlying tendency to conceit in regard to this conscious body so there's no thinking of this body as me or mine or the underlying tendency to conceit, the underlying tendency to think I am, to have that feeling this body is somehow me. 
And number two there, they would have no eye-making, mind-making, or underlying tendency to conceit in regard to all external objects. So also no ownership of anything, no identification with anything. And then three, they would enter and dwell in that liberation of mind, liberation by wisdom, through which there is no more eye-making, mind-making, or underlying tendency to conceit for one who enters and dwells in it. So it's completely gone, this idea of self, completely dissolved in this state of immersion, in this state of meditation. And the Buddha says, yes, they could. That's possible. But how, Bhante, could you obtain such a state of immersion or concentration. And he says, Ananda, here, a mendicant thinks, this is peaceful, this is sublime. That is the stilling of all activities, the relinquishing of all acquisitions or the letting go of all things, the destruction of craving, dispassion, cessation, nirvana. In this way, Ananda, a mendicant could obtain such a state of concentration that they would have no eye-making, mind-making, or underlying tendency to conceit in regard to this conscious body, in regard to all external objects, and they would enter and dwell in that liberation of mind, liberation by wisdom through which there is no more eye-making, mind-making, or underlying tendency to conceit. So that was what he's, and then he says, this is, it was with reference to this that I said to Parayana in the questions of Punika. So this is, I think, in the Suttanipada, maybe. I can't remember exactly, or the Udana. I don't know. Having comprehended the highs and lows in the world, they are not perturbed by anything in the world peaceful, fumeless, untroubled, wishless, they have, I say, crossed over birth and old age. So this was a Bhikkhu translation, but um, I changed the language to be inclusive. So mendicant instead of bhikkhu, etc. But this, this whole idea of this is this is one, one place where we see this reflection put to use, just to have an idea. Um, and of course, in practice, it's whatever is developing or unfolding. I think unfolding is a better way to think of it. Whatever is unfolding in our meditation, in our practice, or even in our reflection, we may not be sort of doing formal practice. Um, it might be while, you know, um, walking, walking meditation is also formal practice, but you could just be walking in nature and have this kind of whatever reflections as a result of doing formal practice. Oftentimes the mind goes into states of immersion in ordinary experience, I've found. And sometimes when we're in a situation in our life where 
there's a lot of stress and we feel I can't really sit and practice. Sometimes the mind, if we if we've been regularly practicing, regularly meditating regularly, sometimes the mind will just spontaneously go into meditation. You sit down and boom, there's you know a settling of the mind. And so whatever, however it comes, um, noticing that, not in a way that disturbs it, but in a way, because whenever we're in any kind of uh, deeper state of meditation, there is sharp mindfulness. If the mindfulness isn't clear and sharp, we're not really in a deep state of of meditation. And when I say deep, I'm not just saying, oh, it's some... Um, you know, rare kind of um, extraordinary experience necessarily. Um, and I've told you before many times, most of you have heard me say that, you know, when I asked Ajahn Gunha, how deep does the, the samadhi need to be for awakening? He said, not that deep. Because sometimes the mind can go into those spaces without our thinking, oh, that was, I wasn't really in such a deep state. That's not really what's important. What's important is the wisdom that arises, how it changes your heart, how we come to no longer wanting to ever break any precepts, how we come to no longer wanting to, you know, uh, acquire what's in the world how we come to really having that kind of loving kindness for all living beings, you know, et cetera. The, the fruits and benefits, the beautiful transformation that the Dhamma has on the heart. This is, this is really what we want to notice and really want to, um, you know, acknowledge as that unfolding happens in ourselves. So that's, that's one part of what I want to take into this three months. And just as a guide, you know, just as a um, kind of a light on the path. And then there is, you know, so this is very much wisdom practice, um, really it's kind of, you know, it never, it never is like a um, sharp separation. You can see that there's so much of the heart in this. It's all, you know, like this um, attunement to the natural leanings of the heart, attuned to um, the unfolding that naturally occurs when we've laid a firm foundation of, of sila, of virtue. And yet it's, there's much more of a wisdom tone in this, and then I wanted to balance it with this second reflection. I will develop and cultivate the liberation of mind by loving kindness. Make it my vehicle, make it my basis, stabilize it, exercise myself in it, and fully perfect it.
Now this is Bhikkhu Bodhi's translation and Bhante Sujato, instead of liberation of mind, he calls it release of heart, release of the heart, which I think is also beautiful because the chitta, uh, chitta can be translated as mind or heart. And as a Westerner with English as my only real language, <laughs> um, mind and heart bring up different um, different sense. And it's helpful to remember that it's the same thing in some ways. And that when the Buddha talks about the chitta, it's both, or it's 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 that not separated out the intellectual and the feeling parts, but this freedom of chitta, freedom of mind, freedom of heart. And to do that by cultivating loving kindness. And again, uh, Bhante Sujato just translates metta as love. <coughs> and I've, I'm going to show you a, um, a sutta where I'm using his translation, but I've uh, replaced love with loving kindness because they just can't quite go there because it's just too um, evocative of other kinds of things that we call love uh, that aren't the same. Love with desire, with craving, love with attachment. That's not what the Buddha is talking about. He's talking about metta, loving kindness, a complete, um, completely selfless and completely uh, limitless quality. And so to develop that quality, making it my vehicle, making it my basis, stabilizing that loving kindness, really making use of it, really fully developing it, And there's um, the short sutta called Pots of Food. And the Buddha is just, this is, this is in a part of the connected discourses of Sanyutta Nikaya, where the Buddha is using various similes. And so this simile is, you know, really showing the value, the importance of loving kindness. And he says, if someone were to give away a hundred pots of food, as charity in the morning, it's a lot of food. And a hundred pots of, of food at noon and a hundred pots of food in the evening. And if someone else were to develop a mind of loving kindness, even for the time it takes to pull a cow's udder, which doesn't take very long. I don't know how many udders you've pulled, but I actually have never milked a cow. I've milked goats, but it's probably about the same. <laughs> either in the morning, at noon, or in the evening, um, this would be more fruitful. So loving kindness, even for a moment. Of course, to have that loving kindness as you're giving away pots of food is, whoa, <laughs> it's really amazing, <laughs> really beautiful. Um, it's wonderful to offer. Um, but the heart, what's happening in the heart, this has such a profound effect. 
It has a profound effect on us. It has a profound effect on the world. Therefore, train yourself. We will develop and cultivate the liberation of mind, the release of the heart by loving kindness. Make it our vehicle, make it our basis. Stabilize it, exercise ourselves in it, and fully perfect it. Thus should you train. So I wanted to show you the benefits of loving kindness. So when we train in this way, the Buddha said there are there are these eight benefits. I actually think that in the um, Book of Elevens, there's also maybe more. But um, in the Book of Eights, it says you sleep at ease, you wake up happily, you don't have bad dreams, human beings love you, non-humans love you, deities protect you, you can't be harmed by fire, poison, or blade. If you don't reach anything higher, you'll be reborn in the Brahma realm. These are the eight benefits you can expect from the heart's liberation by loving kindness. When that's been cultivated, developed, practiced, made a vehicle and a basis, kept up, consolidated, and properly implemented. Another translation. So it's really useful, I find, as you know, to look at various translations and to look at the Pali and see what the words actually mean. And then he's got this verse, a mindful one. And another way to say it is when, when we are established in mindfulness and we develop limitless loving kindness that weakens the fetters. So all the, the 10 things that hold us back from full awakening, it weakens those. Seeing and the seeing of the ending of attachments, or seeing the ending of our the shackles, the things that we're clinging to, the clinging to those things, not the things themselves. They're not the problem. <laughs> the things, the people, it's our clinging that's the problem. Loving just one creature with a hateless heart or without any hatred makes you a good person compassionate for all creatures when you when you love all beings a noble one creates abundant merit and then the buddha is talking about the people who have conquered the land conquered the royal pot potentates conquered this land and traveled around sponsoring sacrifices horse sacrifice human sacrifice the sacrifices of casting of the yoke pen, the royal soma drinking, and the unbarred. I have no idea what that means. Um, in Bhikkhu Bodhi's version, he doesn't even translate those words, so I don't know. But you gotta get the idea, you know, people can go around and conquer and be these, you know, held up as great, um, powerful people, but that's not worth a 16th part of a mind developed with loving kindness. So this is the simile, you know, like no matter who you think is great in the world, you know, probably getting to that greatness with a certain amount of brutality. It's not worth much of anything compared to developing the heart with loving kindness as all the constellations of stars 
are or the sixteenth part of the moon's light. So don't kill or cause others to kill. Don't conquer or encourage others to conquer. With love for all sentient beings, you'll have no enmity for anyone. And this is really good to reflect on, regardless of even if it's not killing, but you know, how many people do we know who are happy to kind of step on others to get to the top of the ladder in business or whatever, you know, to really see that whatever we accomplish in the worldly sense in those ways, um, it really tarnishes or keeps the heart in the dark. When we let go of those ambitions and we really have love for beings, then maybe there is a kind of um, you know, rising in the world too, because people appreciate that, but there's no self behind it, and there's no um, selfishness involved in it. So you have love for all beings, and the heart is free from enmity. They have one more sutta that I'm going to refer to, but we're not going to go through the whole thing because it's quite long. It's called a teaching in brief, but boy, the Buddha really gives it to this guy. <laughs> Once he gets started, this mendicant comes up to the Buddha, he bows and sits to one side and he says, may the Buddha please teach me Dhamma in brief. When I've heard it, I'll live alone, withdrawn, diligent, keen, and resolute. So this is something that often shows up in the suttas. Uh, his, own, his own stepmother, Mahapajapati, came to him and asked for his teaching in brief. And oftentimes when the Buddha gives such a teaching to a person, they go off and get enlightened. But here the Buddha says, this is exactly how some foolish people ask me for something, but then um, when the teaching's been explained, they only think about following me around. I can, I can appreciate that. Many of you have heard that before. This shows up a few times um, in the suttas. He said, no, please teach me the Dhamma. May the Holy One teach me the Dhamma in brief. Hopefully I can understand the meaning of what the Buddha says. Hopefully I can be an heir to the Buddha's teachings so I can really, really take it in. He says, well, so this is really helpful, like helpful for me, these, these first few paragraphs going into this three months. You should train like this. My mind will be steady and well settled internally. And bad, unskillful qualities that have arisen will not occupy my mind. So it's interesting. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's not like we can keep un, bad, unskillful qualities from arising necessarily, but we can make sure they don't occupy the mind. And then gradually, that's how we reduce their arising. We turn our minds away from the old habits. So this is the first training. You don't let the unskillful qualities remain occupying the mind. You make the mind steady and well. And then when you get that, 
the mind is steady and well settled internally and bad unskillful qualities that have arisen don't occupy your mind, then you should train like this. I will develop the heart's release by loving kindness. I'll cultivate it, make it my vehicle and my basis, keep it up, consolidate it and properly implement it. That's how you should train. And then the Buddha goes on to talk about how to use this mind of loving kindness. You're really immersed in loving kindness. This is like, sometimes we call it uh, metta jhana. You can use the loving kindness, the metta, to really develop depth in your meditation. When this immersion, this samadhi, is well-developed and cultivated in this way, then you, you develop it, placing mind and keeping it connected. So we talk of vichara, we develop it by placing the mind, uh, by not placing the mind, but keeping it connected. So no vitaka, just vichara, develop it, placing the mind and keeping it connected without either of those, no vitaka, no vichara, and developing rapture, pleasure, and equanimity. Okay, so this sutta goes on developing all the Brahma Viharas, etc, etc. There's a bunch left, but this is enough for right now. It's like first selling the mind, getting the mind still, not letting the bad unwholesome qualities in, and then developing loving kindness, and really developing it. And then using that metta, an immersion in metta, as an entry into deeper meditation. So those are the supports I'm intending to take with me. And um, just as a guideline. And I think just um, open this for questions or comments. See if there's anything you'd like to say or ask. Yes, Cynthia. Yes, thank you. Um, so there was that in the last sutta that you read, there was that line about don't don't let unskillful qualities remain in the mind. Can you say something more about what's the? I mean, I I know it's, <laughs> it's not particularly a good thing to just like, you know, grit your teeth and block block it out because that can add a for me, at least, it can it can add an element of aversion, like, oh, I shouldn't be, you know, so what's a what's a skillful, wholesome way to sort of allow those unskillful thoughts to be dissolved or something, you know, to yeah. away from them? Yeah, I mean, it depends a little bit um, on what's happening. So sometimes 
most of the time, and I think what this is really describing is that there's there's a lot of practice going on, you know, like I'm going to have um, all my waking hours. The only thing I have to do during this retreat is to walk from the John and Grove Meditation Center to Bodhinyana Monastery to receive the meal and go back again. That's it. Get my one meal a day. I mean, I think there might be some kind of breakfast little stuff provided at the residence where I'll be. And, but the rest of the time is for my cultivation. So, you know, you really have that time. And when, when you can direct the mind in a good way, then it's, you know, possible that a lot of things from the past arise, you know, or there can be different kinds of mental states that show up. If there's something intense that shows up, some kind of intense craving or, um, you know, negativity, then you need to address it. Usually you have to address it. Uh, and you do that by being present with it and particularly in how it appears, how it shows up in the body. So there are tools that I use if that kind of thing happens. And sometimes if it gets really intense, maybe you need to talk to, um, you know, someone like, I don't know, I, I would imagine there will be people available. I'll be staying with Aya Chanda. There's always the chance of, you know, like some um, discussion about something. But most of the time, those states aren't that strong. You know, there's been a lot of years now of working through things. It doesn't mean something intense couldn't arise, but the chances are probably a bit less. Uh, a lot of the stuff from my past has already been visited many times. So if it's just um, kind of your garden variety unwholesome, like, uh, you know, mental states, then oftentimes it's enough to just turn the attention to what's wholesome and turn the attention to the cultivation. Um, this is another, you know, so cultivating loving kindness or the other Brahma Viharas or just, you know, very diligent um, use of Anapanasati. So I should mention that I'll be, you know, my um, go-to meditation is mindfulness of in and out breathing and that's what I'll be doing also. And so, you know, like when I'm really, you know, if I really apply myself, then there's a very good chance that those unwholesome bad thoughts or mental states don't really get a chance to take any footing. Even though it might come through in the background, it just doesn't really, it just doesn't really have any potency. And I think that's what the Buddha is describing here. You kind of brought yourself to that place where there is this steadiness of mind. And those states are not really, uh, they don't have any power, even if they kind of like flicker through in the background. So it does depend. And the Buddha gives such a range of tools that we can apply, uh, depending on the severity, depending on the quality, depending on the specific, you know, kind of subject matter. Um, you know, we can do different things.
Thank you. Welcome. Yes, Vandana? I just add something to it. So like, I think Thichnathan, he said, let them come in, but don't serve them tea. <laughs> you should be the only one occupied the chair in your house. Yeah. Don't let them sit. Don't offer them anything. And they will eventually leave. Yeah. Yeah. Could you hear <laughs> Vandana? No. She was um, bringing up a quote by Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, where he talks about, um, you know, let them in, but don't serve them tea. <laughs> no. So this idea that you don't give the negative um, thoughts energy, you know, you know, like what often happens is we get caught up in them. The mind wants to continue to deliberate on them. You know, we get caught up in, oh, I should have said this, or how could they say that to me or whatever, you know, like we, we, we ruminate all over them or we can, oh, like, oh no, not this again. You know, like I'm, I'm such a bad meditator or, you know, like whatever the mind, whatever the mind comes up with, um, this is all noise. This is all trash. Don't live in the trash. Um, you don't have, don't throw it out with, um, with anger or enmity, but just, okay, we're going to sweep up now and put that in the bin, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, with kindness, with clarity, <laughs> it's okay. Um, don't, don't give it energy. Don't feed it. Don't give it tea. And the Buddha was proactive. You know, it's not just about letting the mind do whatever and we just watch it. It's, it's about noticing what's there and applying the appropriate response. In some ways, we can get quite lazy if we don't recognize that we should be taking care of this, you know, not just letting it run. If there are no comments or questions, maybe we should meditate for a little bit. Oh, first choice. Okay. I'm, you're muted, my dear. I'm not really prepared for this, but here goes. Um, I was, I'm so deeply moved by this, call it program that you've laid out for yourself. I just resonated with every single thing you said, and I would like to add this to my practice. And I'm wondering if you would be willing to um, post this, you know, where you have the um, Ajahn Pleen document. Okay. Yeah. This, I can this be, oh, good. I would love to have this and, and all of the um, references to the various suttas. Mm -hmm. I mean, this really, really touched my heart, and I really appreciate it. Good. Yes, I'm happy to post it. Thank you, Joyce. Yeah. Can, I, can I share some reflections 
sure, Wandana. Do you want to get a little closer to the microphone? No, you don't have to. <laughs> no, okay. I just uh, wanted to share some uh, experiences as you were mentioning about having loving kindness for all beings. I think when you meditate, uh, it, it comes natural. It becomes so natural for you. When you go outside in the uh, nature, you will start noticing all the small creatures, anything you won't step on them. Mm -hmm. So for me, from since last year, I started noticing some sufferings around animals. Earlier, I would go to the park and see the lake and beautiful ducks and geese. But then I started noticing how much uh, they were suffering when they, they removed the water from the lake. And then we started putting water out for the birds. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was became a big project. And then slowly they started adding the water to the lake. So we all okay because we fought for it. And then another incident came in my complex when they put the rat killer poison boxes. Oh, yeah. And what happened with that, the squirrels started to die. Mm. And one, I don't know if I was only the one seeing the dead squirrels or maybe I was paying attention or whatever is happening. Then I started complaining about that, that squirrels are dying. Yeah. Even I brought one squirrel who was almost like she was just dragging <laughs> because she got poisoned so my mm. son and my daughter they brought them in and then next day we uh, left it to the animal shelter uh, the wildlife and now we have my complex we have a small pond there is a mommy duck she has she had nine ducklings earlier but then five took uh, maybe the crows took them and then we started noticing me and my some other friends and now we started protecting those ducklings so we go there and chase the crows away so mm. they don't take them now we still have four oh, wow. but what i feel like i'm sneaking food to them which mm. is not allowed but i thought that <laughs> i didn't even tell my friend she also goes there to protect them but i never told her that i'm sneaking food so i was just wondering is it the wrong thing to do because the babies are still very young they don't have any food in the pond because the mm. pond has been a addictive chemical to yeah. clean the pond so i'm i don't care if it's uh, i'm breaking any law or anything for me my heart is just every day now in the morning seven something they wait for me and i have to give them some bird seeds i got yeah. the bird seeds for them which is a proper food it's not something right, right. from home yeah, so Wandana's Wandana's share. I don't know. You can, can maybe not hear it. Wandana has been sharing some reflections on her experience of coming to more loving kindness and mindfulness about what's happening to the wildlife um, in her area and how to um, support them. And you know, it's an endless task. Um, it's, it's but it's it's really important. Um, to know what's happening in the heart and to, to really um, pay attention to that and then act accordingly. And sometimes we can make a difference in the world and sometimes we can't make so much and it's okay. We make an effort when it's appropriate. And, you know, coming back to one of those stanzas uh, when the Buddha is talking about not killing and not uh, causing others to kill, you know, this is one of the places where I think those who are interested in having a diet that doesn't 
make such heavy use of animals, uh, where you can see some basis for that in the Buddhist teachings, you know, how can we support the not killing? So Vandana's example had, you know, they have a, a pond at her complex and um, when they drain the pond, then the wildlife suffers. And so you try to help by putting out water. And then, you know, there are other things that happen. Um, the natural things like the crows eating the ducklings, you know, what can you do? I mean, this is nature, right? Um, but when the complex puts out rat poison and the squirrels start dying, you can do something about that, you know? Um, try to make a change in how how the living beings are treated you know this idea that we as humans should have our comfort and we are superior now this this fades uh, dramatically this really really starts to go away when we practice and you know it's it's important I think to find a balance of how much we, how much effort we put into changing a world that's never really going to be completely changed. We can help. It's good to help. It's good to help those beings that we can help. Um, it's also important to remember that um, our own life energy first and foremost needs to be to train our mind so that our help is actually effective and our development continues. So finding that balance is important. If, we're, if our actions are always based on Dhamma, uh, that's going to be the, the best um, support for ourselves and others. And eventually we develop the wisdom to know what the right balance is for what we put out into the world and what we um, need to develop our own mind, our own heart. You know, it's, it's, it's this constant uh, balancing act. You know, it's, it's like being a parent and how much do I sacrifice for my children and how much do I need to take care of myself so that I can actually be there for my children. You know, that's a balancing act in the world. You see it all the time. If we're a, a manager, how much do I, do I give to the company? Do I give to my team? And how much do I need to take uh, time to resource myself and pay attention to my own life and its stability and happiness. You know, these are all like these kinds, this kind of balance. But when we place the training of the mind or maybe a better way to put it is we, we place the Dhamma at the highest, uh, as the highest priority, then we're going to be developing the kindness and the wisdom and the compassion and all the rest in a way that we'll have a much better idea of what's the right amount, what's the right amount of giving, what's the right amount of, of personal practice, what's the right amount of, you know, like all of these questions about balance. 
Ajahn Ganhao often says, wisdom solves the problem. But where does that wisdom come from? That wisdom comes from deep inside. It comes from letting go of the thinking mind, letting go of, you know, in some sense, the, I want to say the rules, letting go of, you know, like going, going more, going to where the keeping of the rules is natural and the, the following of the Dhamma is, is natural. And then we understand much more at a deep level how to respond. So let's, let's take, you know, maybe just 10 minutes here to meditate. Because that's the, the spring we're drinking from. And we bring our attention to our breath. And sometimes that's easy to find, and sometimes it's not so easy. We need to start somewhere else. Maybe we need to start with the body. Letting go of whatever tension we find there. Letting go of having to present ourselves in a certain way, just so let the whole body be as it is. When we take time to settle the body and bring loving kindness to it, then sometimes it's much more natural to have our attention move to the breath. Just feeling the body breathing. For anything that's rigid in our mind, rigid in our practice, we want to soften the edges. Again, there's a balance. We want to be clear and precise like the Buddha, keeping precepts, knowing what's true and what's not true, what's wholesome and what's not wholesome. But then there's also a softness, a kindness, compassion, forgiveness around it all that elevates our entire experience of life so that we can make use of everything that comes across our path. All of the things we've done in the past, what we've said, what we've thought, 
all of the things that have happened to us, around us. This is all grist for the mill. This is all material we can use to develop to let go so we observe the breath relax the mind Open the heart. Lay down the burdens. Let the spring water of the Dhamma flow up in us, rise. When thoughts that bring tension or any kind of negativity arise, maybe we can just say, shh, hush. Calming. Supporting the mind. in being wholesome and clear, calm. This is peaceful. This is sublime. The stilling of all activities. The letting go of all attachments. Fading away, 
cessation. Nibbana. So I'll be, in a sense, taking you all with me, um, sharing the merit of the practice. And um, I want to mention Misty in particular. She visited the hermitage yesterday, and she said, um, you know, some of you don't know, Misty has been dealing with um, cancer ever since we've known her now maybe five years and she's gotten to the point where she's very very sick and her immune system is completely packed up and she's not on any medication anymore and uh, so I want to I want to particularly share the merit with her and everyone who's um, you know, suffering. Would anyone like to say anything here right at the end?
And I think I'll chant a blessing. And the Gargasarna will help. <clears throat> it's one you've heard a lot of times, but here we are. Davis are ready. <laughs> so may you have every good blessing. May all the Devas protect you by the power of all the Buddhas. May you ever be well. May you have every good blessing. May all the Devas protect you by the power of all the Dhamma. May you ever be well. May you have every good blessing. May all the Devas protect you by the power of all the Sangha. May you ever be well. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.